0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's edition of the Tabletop for Two podcast. I'm Brad Van Vutt.
1: I'm Emily Van Vutt.
0: So we're back. Um, this week, <coughs> our main topic that we're going to talk about is uh, going to look at a mechanic, uh, that's in games auctions specifically, and review how it works. Um, some games that do it well with two players, some games that don't do it too well with two players. So we'll get into quite a few games with that as we go along. Um, of course, we're going to talk about games that we've been getting to the table recently, a couple new ones, uh, some of which we like very much.
1: Some uh, of which made the cut list right away. Yes.
0: <laughs> and uh, But first before we do that, of course, uh, you can find us online. Let's get that out of the way with uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Tabletop for Two.
1: Um, you can listen to us on any of your favorite catching apps, such as Stitcher, iTunes, Pocket Cast. I think I have Podcast Addict on my phone. Mm-hmm. And well, really, Stitcher. any podcatcher
0: will work just fine. Anything so. that
1: you l- want to listen to us, yep. please.
0: So uh, so let's get right into what we've been playing over the past couple of weeks that's brand new. We recently picked up uh, a game that I've been kind of looking forward to for a little while, ever since I've seen it. And that was Automobiles um, from AEG. This is the third game in their transportation series of games that really don't have anything to do with one another, except for the fact that they all are titled after different types of transportation. And they have the same art
1: style on the box.
0: Yes, yeah, so trains, of course, we've talked about many, much on this show, which we enjoy. One, one of our, our favorite face. deck builders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, planes we have not played because um, it didn't look too appealing.
1: <laughs> planes, trains, and automobiles.
0: But automobiles is um is an interesting Fine. game. So this is a uh, this is actually a race game as as one would expect, but it's done through a bag building mechanism similar to that of like Hyperborea or 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 any other game. That uh, that has that mechanism. So you have a racetrack, and each have a car, um, and you have a starting bag of different cubes, and the cubes represent um, a variety of different things. They're all different colors. Uh, you have a few, you know, many cubes that represent different gears, uh, which lets you move a certain number of spaces on the board.
1: Colored spaces,
0: right? So there's on on the track itself, there's white, light gray, dark gray, and black spaces, and as the shade of space gets darker. the space gets bigger, so as when you move along, um, you want to ideally move with the darker spaces uh, because you 'll cover more ground with fewer with fewer movements basically and then there's also colored cubes um, which are going to change like what those cubes do are going to vary from game to game because each color has four different cards that are associated with it. And you only choose one of those cards before the game starts, um, and each cube, when you play it out of your bag, has a special ability. And any cubes that you don't play for their ability on your turn, you can use for money uh, to buy more cubes to put in your bag. And, of course, once you've drawn your bag out, you take all the cubes in your discard pile and dump them all back in and then keep drawing. So, you know, a traditional deck builder mechanism there. And this one was cool, too, because as you move, if you use the darker spaces to move, so if you use like a dark gray or black space, um, every turn you're going to have to take some wear for your car and wear just dead cubes that sit in your bag and and take up space. And if you use those darker spaces, you have to take more wear on your turn than you do if you only use some of the smaller spaces as you go. And you're trying to weave your car in and around the track, uh, trying to be the first to complete the most laps and cross the finish line, uh, before any of the other cars, so I figured we'd be predisposed toward liking this a little bit because it is essentially a deck building game, which we're big fans of, um, and it's also a racing game. So, how does so so first is a deck building game or a bag building game? How did you think this one played?
1: Um, I really enjoyed it. I got really angry with my bag there because I put a certain cube in my bag knowing that, hey, I have two of these cubes in the bag and I'm going to draw one of them at least. And I didn't. Mm. So in the true fashion of deck building, I got really angry because, you know, things just tend to not work out for me. Mm.
0: But did you enjoy the different... uh like the different decisions to make between oh, yeah. which cubes to use the, as you race around the
1: diversity with the different cards was great mm. like i i i loved like some of the cards like okay you can get rid of your dead cubes but then you have to do this you know kind of a thing and like you said it's going to be different every time we play because you just draw out random cards mm-hmm. So should be fun.
0: Well now so so the racing game aspect. So we've played quite a few racing games. Um we've played Thunder Alley, which we like a lot. Uh we've played Snow Tales, uh, which we like, like, but only the one time. Uh we never played Formula D, but to me this one seems kind of similar in some in the, from the racing aspect to Formula D. Whereas in Formula D you're rolling dice um corresponding to which gear your car is in, and obviously the higher gears, the die the dice have larger numbers on them. Unless you move more spaces than this one, you're doing the bag. What did you think about the racing mechanic?
1: Um, it was actually I it was good. Like I I was not sure how it was going to work with the cubes, mm. but uh, it actually seemed to work out fairly well with the uh, because I wasn't sure. I mean, you look at when you're starting I'm looking, I'm like, oh my god, it costs that much for that and this that. I didn't know how long it would take you to get around the track, but I mean, mm. it was actually fairly decent. Mm. Getting going because you know how sometimes first playthrough it's like it takes forever. Mm. This one kind of just flew along for me.
0: I did enjoy the game. I it, it I thought it was going to take longer than it did because obviously when you first start you have a really basic deck and it, you know you're not moving around the track at a very brisk pace. And then once you get some of the higher gear cubes, um, you can really make some moves. I remember there was I think we each had a turn where we moved like three quarters of the way mm-hmm. around the track with one turn just because of the combinations. Of I cubes will say that we
1: drew. the having to take the wear. This is, mm. And like taking like the suspension or the tire blowout or whatever, knowing that hazards could be coming and things like that. It's like
0: um, I like I, said, I enjoyed the game, though. The one thing that I think um, lacks a little bit in the two player game is there's a bonus that if you draft another car at the end of your turn, you don't have to take any work cubes, which can be kind of a big deal, especially if you make a large move on your turn and yeah. then end up behind another car. And that doesn't really come into play. As much with two players, um, just because obviously it it's only you for either, me, I think. Right, but I feel like that's that's probably a bit more of the strategy in a you higher player count game, whereas with two players, really, you're just trying to optimize your turn each time. Mm-hmm. So that'd be the only thing I'd critique with two, but it's still a really fun game. Um, the default thing, I think, was three laps. You can go all the way up to seven. I don't know if I'd want to play a six or I seven think, lap game. I think...
1: I mean, we we could maybe go to like four. It mm-hmm. might make it go a little bit longer for us.
0: Yep, but for what it was, it's really good. Um, obviously. Oh
1: my god, the insert was great. The little trays for the cubes. Yeah, it's, loved it came. It. Well, it's
0: it's funny because the the tray that the uh, game gives you for the cubes reminds me of the little Gerber baby food containers that which we use. Which is what we
1: use for everything. Yeah, it's
0: just except it's a long line of them, which is kind of funny for our standpoints. And then the game comes with. Uh, a double-sided board so there's two there's like a a nascar oval on one side and there's like a f1 like a curvy track on the other um of course i can see down the road new cards and new new tracks coming out for this one for sure so yeah automobiles um solid game uh definitely well worth checking out um it it i think i really do think that this is probably again we haven't played formula d so i can't Speak on that personally, but I, I feel like that the bag building would be more engaging than just the die rolling. And I know in Formula D, there's strategy because you have to like downshift when you get to corners.
1: Yeah, but you know my track record with dice. So. Well,
0: yeah, but I, in Formula D, it's more about making sure that you're I like this being because responsible. With the you dice. have
1: a lot of control over what is going into your bag. Mm-hmm. And like I said, but the the only downer is <laughs> the more wear you get. <laughs> Things just start to happen. Yeah,
0: draw a lot of dead cubes.
1: Yeah. Uh, Next on the list is Tigris and Euphrates. We've actually been looking at this one for quite a while, and we Mm. finally pulled the trigger. I think we got it on sale.
0: Something like that. I mean, this is is the more updated Fantasy Flight Games edition. You know, the first edition came out many, many years ago through, I think, Mayfair, if I'm not mistaken. Fantasy Flight picked it up, and, you know, it has the traditional, you know, Nice plastic Fantasy Flight components and nice cardboard tiles. This is the, um, I guess you consider it a sort of an abstract game uh, from Rider Canizia, where uh, you have these different uh, colored tiles that you can draw from a bag, and you place them out on the board.
1: To try and control the different territories. Right, because
0: each player else is a leader in each of the four different tile colors, and basically what happens is that if you have your leader in a city, and a city is a You know, a grouping of connected tiles essentially. Whenever you place a tile of that color um, in the city, you get a victory point in that color. So that you, you know, if you have a black leader in the city and you place a black tile, then you get a victory point. Um, There are ways to obviously wrestle control of certain cities. So, like if you place your leader that's the same color as a leader that an opponent already has, then you'll start a revolt, I believe. Um, which you're trying to oust them from power and kick their guy out. Um, and if you connect two, I, I guess not cities, but kingdoms together, and then there ends up being the same color leader in both cities, then you have like a war basically between the two. I
1: think we avoided the wars. I did try a, a two, I think two times I tried to revolt, and mm-hmm. you squashed me both times.
0: Yep. So it's, it's a tricky game because it's not very intuitive how to play. And then the hook with this one is that your score is not the highest number of victory points that you've taken. It's actually your score in the color that you have the fewest victory points. So if I have 20 red victory points, 20 black and 20 blue, but only six green at the end of the game, then my score is six. And so you have to you have to figure out a way to keep balance what is and uh, it with
1: him and all the math.
0: I don't. It's that's a trademark of his. Uh, a lot of his games. It's
1: all the math. Yeah. And you have been terrible at the math lately.
0: Well, I mean, for that that one you don't need the math so much because it's just you have your little victory point tiles. So it's it's a tricky game to learn, and I warned Emily about that. And I know when we first started playing, you
1: really I got didn't know real what was going frustrated on. real quick.
0: Yep. Did you did it click for you f- during the game? or are you still kind of foggy? It,
1: it started to towards the very end. Mm. I started to kind of understand, but. I'd have to play it again.
0: Yeah, and, I, I'd probably
1: get mad again.
0: <laughs> I'd had the advantage of, um, I have a, the the app for it on my tablet, so I'd gotten to play a couple of games just to kind of get a feel for the gameplay. Well,
1: gee, mister, I mean, you traded in my tablet how long ago, and I still haven't gotten a new one? You haven't asked for one at all. Mm-hmm. You haven't. Mm-hmm. And you asked me to trade I that one in you. too because it was Dragon butt. I told you I wanted To be able to play my games. Got my hidden object game I like. I got my uh, Star Realms. I haven't played Star Realms in a minute.
0: Well, we'll have to keep that in mind. You can still play it on the iPad, though.
1: I don't want to use yours. I want my own tablet.
0: Well, getting back to Tyrus and Euphrates. Um, So I I do enjoy this one a lot, though. Uh, We don't play a ton of abstract games, um, but this one is definitely... Uh it's it's an interesting puzzle and it's one that I feel like you'd get a lot better at as you go along. Really the the crux of the game is timing out when to when to do the wars and the invasions um and, and doing it at the most opportune time because what happens is that you when you go in
1: I'm a little afraid of the wars still.
0: Well it's so when you go in you have to um if you're doing an invasion it's the red tiles that matter and if you're doing a war it's you have to have the color tiles that match the color that you're invading with. I guess. Mm-hmm. And if there's like a blind bidding system where, you know, the attacker, you know, put not, it's not a blind bidding system. The attacker, you know, states how many of the tiles that he has behind his screen that he's willing to stake. And then the defender has to at least match that, or otherwise they'll lose. Um, so that's, that's really the key is picking the right times to do that. There's also these catastrophe tiles that just nuke a tile from the board, which can either, you know, possibly split a kingdom in two or, you know, divided in some way, shape, or form, and you get two of those at the beginning of the game. I'm interested in this one. Um, I wasn't sure what you would think about it. Obviously, you're willing to give it another chance or two, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. So ho-
0: hopefully, you like it a little bit more. Understand what's going on a little bit more the second time around. I
1: said I'll probably still get mad, so don't be surprised.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, we'll see. But yeah, Tigers and Euphrates. Um, we'll have to give it some more plays, but it seems like it might be a solid addition, especially at two players. It seems like a seems like a pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty back good, and forth. even
1: for like a, you know trying to with the conflicts and everything. Yeah.
0: Now, one that I wasn't sure um, would be good with two players was Biblios, and this is actually one we've had on the shelf for a very long time. Um, for whatever reason, just hasn't gotten played. I finally took it down and, and we checked it out. Um, Biblios is a game where you are trying to have control of four or sorry of of five different colors in the games and each of those colors is gonna be worth a certain number of victory points when the game ends, uh, which is shown by dice that are in the center board, all of which start at three, but their values can be manipulated during the game. So the game takes place in two parts. You have the the drafting phase at the beginning of the game, and then you have the the auction phase to at the end of the game to determine what cards you get. So essentially what happens is during the drafting phase each player draws on their turn, they're gonna draw three cards Or actually, sorry, it's not three cards. It's one more cards than the number of players that are playing. Um, But basically, you get to keep one card. You have to choose one card to give to your opponent. And then one card gets put into like a uh, pile for later on. And you keep doing this until you've gone through all the cards in the deck. And then what will happen is the cards that you set aside during the drafting phase all get shuffled together... And one by one, you auction each of those cards off, and players bid on them to try and acquire them. Um, you have the different uh, you have the different cards that match the different colors uh, that you want to pay gold for, and there's gold on the diff- you know some of the cards that are in your hand, or the gold cards will pop up, and you actually discard cards to purchase those during the auction phase. And essentially, what you're doing is you're trying to um, have the higher point totals because each of the colored cards has a different point value on it, uh, matching that color. So when the game ends, you take a look you know, at the green color and you each add up the numbers on all your cards. So if I have you know, a total of eight for green and you have a total of five, I would get the points that are shown on the green die at the end of the game. And like I said, there are cards that you get during the drafting phase that you can actually manipulate the values of those dice. You might be able to raise them or lower them depending on what you want to do. Um, But that's it. That's pretty much how Biblios works. Uh, Like I said, I wasn't sure how this was going to do. And we're going to talk about auctions later in the game, or later in the game, later in the podcast. And this game is is very predicated on the auction because that's the entire, you know, half of the entire game. Um, So I thought it worked reasonably well, Mm -hmm. though. Uh, if not a little easy to make sure that you are able to go in hard for certain cards that you definitely want
1: mm-hmm.
0: now the one th- what do you, i mean what were your thoughts about it as well
1: um i enjoyed it but i can see it getting boring real quick mm-hmm. you know what i mean just a, just a repetition kind of thing
0: well i, I think i think what hurts the two player game for biblio specifically is that there's very unless a unless a specific color is worth like a huge amount of points, mm-hmm. there's very rarely a lot of competition f- between them. So, like if you if you see that your opponent's going in really hard for like blue, for example, they're buying they're you know they're putting in money for every blue card. You might be able to use that to your advantage to bid up maybe some of the value of those blue cards, especially mm-hmm. the higher value ones. But at the same token, you're not going to be really willing to you know you might cut bait with blue and say, okay, I know I'm not getting blue, so let me try to focus in on some other color
1: right, right, right,
0: so i and I think if you have more players, then obviously that would be more
1: competition. there's more competition
0: for the different colors, but with two, you can kind of pick your lanes and the, and really just go in you know the competition is for that maybe one color that will be worth a ton of points mm-hmm. at the end of the game. um, I did enjoy the game though, uh it does benefit in that there's you know when you first start playing, you do secretly put aside a number of cards um that won't be used in that game so you won't see the same exact cards every single game that you play which definitely helps for the for the variety portion of it um i just
1: feel like it's going to get a little samey you know what i mean yeah especially with two maybe we can put that one on the shelf as we only play that with more people
0: yeah and and it's easy enough to teach other people as well right, right, so right. i don't think that would be too we could even of a deal. teach
1: our non-gamer friends and mm. i think it would be okay
0: But, yeah, there are definitely other, and especially, like, auction games that we have that play much better with 2 And law So we'll talk about some of those later on. So Biblios, um, it was a fine game. If you play two players primarily, I wouldn't be running out and buying it necessarily. Um, There are probably better options out there Mm -hmm. that you can get for sure.
1: Uh, Next on the list is a Kickstarter, and that was Carson City. We got the big box. Mm. Oh, my goodness. I'm in love with all the little maples.
0: It's a pretty nice... uh, it's a pretty nice It was a set. pretty
1: big box. Like, I remember the day it came, um, I picked up the box from outside when I was coming in with our son, and I was like, holy geez, this thing weighs a ton. Mm-hmm. It was, it's solid, and everything in there is so nice. I love it.
0: So when we played, um, we just played with the base game. I don't remember using any of the different no, expansions. and, and no. there are, And there are a ton. Yeah. Um, the basic gist of Car City, it's a worker placement game where you're trying to acquire different parcels of land on this board.
1: No, well, it's it's area control as well.
0: Well, it's it, it's not I don't know if it's so much area control because you're trying to get the parcels of land and then build buildings on them. And the buildings will score well, not score points, but get you money based on what other buildings might be around them or based on things around them on the map some of this area control so much as you're trying to strategically find the right spot for yourself and getting the right building in there and also being able to get the building as well, because there's a conveyor belt line of buildings that you can bid on. But basically during the worker placement part of the turn, um, you each have, you have a bunch of cowboys that you will uh, be able to place on the board uh, to on the different action spaces. And this might be, like I said, bidding on the different land spots uh, It might be bidding on the different buildings. Uh, it might be, you know, acquiring uh, roads, because when you put buildings down, you also have to be able to connect them back to the center of uh, the that city. That kind
1: of reminded me of Takenoko. Mm,
0: I figured it would. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I would not be shocked if that mechanic in Takenoko was, def- was directly inspired from Tarzan City, right, because Card right. City came around as you know, a 10-year-old game Yeah. at this point. Um, the Western hook, though, for the game is that if you jump on an action space that is the same that your opponent already occupies if it's a unique space, then you actually have a duel to see who's going to control it.
1: We didn't have any duels, did we? Well,
0: we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Um, I can't remember. (laughs) But the way the duel works is that each player has a certain number of guns that they have. Um, So that's your initial firepower. And then each of you roll a die and and then add that to your firepower. Whoever has the most wins, and they send the other cowboy back home. Uh, To the other player handed right and they're the ones that get to do the action on the space Um, like Emily said that's that's one critique that I'll have with the game is that I think we had one duel during the entire game because with two players Well, but
1: see I think part of it is we were still trying to kind of figure it out and trying to figure out what I agree what worked best you mm-hmm. know and what what mechanic or what what specific things that we wanted to do mm-hmm. so maybe in the next go round we will have more duels because we'll realize oh hey this is a really good space mm-hmm. so we'll see but yeah i can i can agree with you that that kind of sucked a little bit because you know there wasn't as much
0: well you're, you're missing pretty much like an entire portion <laughs> in the game because right. obviously because there's enough there's enough spaces on the board that there's not a you can usually find your way around the other person.
1: And if you guys know us, we like the kind of we we like to get a little crunchy with our games and like kind of punch each other in the face. Mm-hmm. you know, we like that conflict, and I didn't have as much of that conflict as I would have liked
0: i I would agree with that. Um I did forget actually one of the things I really like about the game is that at the beginning of the game, there's seven characters that are at the top of the board, and they basically determine the turn order. For each round,
1: and how much money you can keep.
0: Well, that they have a special bonus. And then, like Emily said, at the end of the round, you're limited your cap to how much money you can hang on to. Um, but what's cool about that is that you don't just throw the money away; you actually cash it in for victory points, mm-hmm. um, which is which is a nice little mechanic, and you can actually use that to plan around how the game works as well. The other thing that's cool is that there's action spaces on the board that actually lets you sell. Like you can put your worker on that space and sell money for victory points during the round. Usually. At, well, a, usually, at a much at a, better rate, right, right, and 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 those spaces get worse as the game goes along. Like I think at the first turn in the game, you can. There's a space that lets you sell for every two dollars you spend, you can get a victory point. Yeah, and, and then, then it goes the up to game, like
1: ten, doesn't
0: it? Well, no, it goes up to five on the board, and then at the at the very end of the game during oh, the final scoring, okay. it's, it's ten. 10, 10. So, okay. yeah, you really do want to get rid, get rid of the money during the game as much as you possibly can. Um, also, on the board, on the sorry, on the land board itself, um, wasn't that hard to get the spaces you need. Again, with the two players, not that difficult. There is an expansion um, called The River that actually addresses that because it basically puts a river on the board that are spaces you can't develop on. Mm-hmm. And, and the game rules even say for two players it's recommended just because it cuts down on...
1: On how much land space. there is, yeah.
0: Right, so, so that, that would be sense. one. Yeah, that would definitely a lot use of next time. I really like the production of the game, though.
1: The quality of components was off the charts.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like I said, the, the big box comes with, I think, six different modular expansions that are in the box, like the rivers one. It has one that <gasps> I'm... they have
1: the horses Yeah, in they that? have
0: the rodeo one where you can get horses during the game, and then you have a rodeo at the end of each round, and you get victory points if you do well with that, too. Um and you have little stables that you put the horses in that get oh, you bonuses I love, too. I love that stuff. Oh there, my
1: god. There's
0: actually one that's really interesting, um, where it gives you asymmetric starting resources, but you get to choose basically they give you like a budget and each like a worker costs X amount of dollars and a road starting road costs X amount of dollars and you have that budget to work with and then obviously whatever you don't spend you get in cash at the beginning of the game. But I like the way the different buildings interact with each other. Um, a lot of strategy in that regard. Uh, even though the game is very old and and came out, you know, at a time when worker placement was still relatively a new thing, um, it still feels very solid. Like, like you know how some older games, they the mechanics can feel a little bit dated mm-hmm. as time goes along and they're improved upon. Carson City felt really good, and there's not You're really... You're saying it holds up. It holds up really well, and there's not, like, I can't... Off the top of my head, I can't think of another game that plays really similarly to how this one does. Like, I really like, I especially like the the action spaces at the top of the board. Like, you actually go through them in a specific order. Mm -hmm. Um... Which is also kind of neat instead of you just saying, all right, I'll do this action first and this action first. There's right. actually like a snake thing that goes through and you do them in a in a specific order, which is neat. I just I really like the game. Um, I can definitely see and it plays at a good at a good time, too. Like, I think you can probably knock it out in 60 to 75 minutes mm-hmm. and uh, and it's pretty solid. See, at Carson City, uh, if you can get the big box, uh, I recommend it. it is a little pricey. Um, I know in the Kickstarter is 100 bucks. I think it might be a little bit more uh, if it ever does make it to retail. Uh, but a really nice production and a really solid game. Like I said, I was—I uh, didn't know really what to expect from it. Um, it's always been very highly regarded and deservedly so. I think it's—it uh, was really solid. This one
1: lobbied for a long time with me for this one.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's always been impossible to find because it's been out of print for such a long time that when the Kickstarter came up, it felt like a good idea to—to to take advantage of it. So I, I remember I also listen to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers, and they, they always say how they want to rub the box because it has that leather look to it. You, mm-hmm. And you think that it should, it should probably feel that way, too. Like I said, really nice box. Um, but yeah, check that one out when you get a chance. Uh, lastly was a game that we've also had sitting on the shelf for a little while. Um, this is Viceroy from, I think, Hobby World is the company Viceroy? that published this. Yeah,
1: Viceroy. Viceroy.
0: Sorry, it's how Viceroy. I pronounce it. Whatever.
1: It, come on, Star Wars nerd. Viceroy.
0: I don't like it. No, you don't pay attention to those prequel cool movies. Mm. <laughs> so Viceroy is a um what? Mm-hmm. Well now you have me self-conscious about it. <laughs> it's a it's a tableau building game where you're actually building a pyramid of cards, and the cards are usually different, uh mm. different people. So beginning of each round, um four cards will get drawn out. And you have these little colored gems that are in four different colors. And you each secretly choose a gem that represents a card that you want to acquire. Um, As long as nobody else wants that card, you get to take it. And you can add it to your hand. Um, And then during your turn, you you have the option to do a couple actions where you can play those cards into your pyramid. Um... When you play the cards you have to pay a cost normally in gems, but when you place the card it gives you some kind of benefit. Um sometimes that can be uh more gems that you can add to your to your reserve. Uh sometimes it might be
1: Permigems.
0: Yep, like in, in they call it infinite gems, that it gives you a gem of that type at all times, essentially, that you can use to buy stuff. Um you have you can get a magic scroll and then you can also get a magic scroll bonus marker. Because at the end of the game, um, you look at your magic scrolls and look at your magic scroll bonus and see how many points each of them is going to be worth.
1: There's also law cards.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's law cards, which are like event cards, I guess you could say, or or that are like special ability cards that you can play they're, in your pyramid as well.
1: They're end game scoring cards, I think, mm-hmm. basically.
0: So and yeah. then the the hook is that it's you're building a pyramid of cards. So obviously when you're first placing cards, you're putting them in the base row of the pyramid. But then once you have a base built, you can start putting cards on top of them.
1: But you have to match. Each card has colors in the corners. It mm. has a piece of a gem in each corner and it has a different color and you have to try and match the colors as best you can because you get bonuses if you can get all four the same in the corners. Right.
0: And and also the, the cost to play the cards higher up in the pyramid is increased because you have to pay for the lower levels as well. Mm-hmm. Um, But you usually get a better benefit depending on what you know what stage of the pyramid you place the card in um this one
1: this fell flat for it us it did
0: yeah it, it definitely did um it just didn't feel like you were doing anything you know what i mean yeah like it wasn't it, it like there wasn't a very clear like i i it's it, it was able like there's a lot of strategies that you could pursue but There wasn't one that was clearly better than the other. Like, it's a game where it kind of benefits to dabble in many things. Mm -hmm. And like Emily said, what you're really trying to do is just match the gem colors that are on the corners of the card.
1: I can appreciate that because I love puzzles and it was like Mm -hmm. a little puzzle for me. But. The same token, I'm just like I was getting really frustrated because cards coming out, I couldn't get cards of the colors that well, I needed. And
0: what frustrated me too is that so on your turn you get three actions. And literally an action is consists of playing a card to your pyramid. And I can't remember what the other actions were, but they were minor in nature. But you only get to acquire one card per round. Period. And the,
1: and the game was only what?
0: Twelve it was twelve rounds, I think.
1: Yeah. It I think. Was it. <laughs>
0: So, I mean, it's so you have three (coughs) actions per turn, but there's really not a lot of benefit to stockpiling cards in your hand.
1: No, and not at all. And
0: so, really, you're only doing one or two actions per turn, which kind of defeats the purpose of having three actions. Like, I don't really understand why that was necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, and look, this played exactly the same at two players as it would at any other player count. Um, they scale the game based on the number of players with the number of gems that are available. Uh the only thing that you get with more players is more competition for the cards that you're trying to bid on at the beginning of each round. Um uh, but like Emily said this one this one definitely fell flat for us. I had heard middling reviews for it, but I was willing to give it a shot. Um and like and as Emily alluded to earlier in the episode it, it went straight to the trade pile.
1: I enjoyed the artwork on the cards, like and everything. That was that was nice. But you did
0: okay. I, I thought liked, I thought it was rather generic.
1: I liked the artwork. I you know, but uh, the cards. Oh, and this one, I think we got this one in a trade, and it was a mass trade. Game, and yeah. they sleeved the cards, and. We had to immediately unsleeve it while we were trying to play.
0: Oh well, the card, well, and the cards is it we. It's they're square. They're the square cards, <laughs> like you find in so like Among the odd. stars. Yeah, yeah. And 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 they were penny sleeves, and I appreciate the guy putting them in penny sleeves, but I I just can't stand penny sleeves.
1: Well, no, it's just like I felt like when I was trying to go through them, like they kept getting caught on one another, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah
0: Bibli- Biblios, I think. I mean, B- Biblius Viceroy is a hard <laughs> pass for us for sure. Yeah. Um. I I just think there's better games that do what this game is trying to do.
1: I think if you're maybe if you're a beginner, Mm. this would be a good like jumping off point maybe, but you'll outgrow it quickly.
0: Well, you know what this game reminds me of is Eminent Domain Microcosm, except Microcosm is a micro game that you can play in 15 minutes and it's super streamlined. But he does kind of the same stuff, like you're trying to get certain cards out well, of the yeah, row. yeah, because you're
1: trying to get, like, this card because you'll get points for this. Yeah, and and they determine how you'll score,
0: and, and, and it's, 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 yeah, yeah, it feels yeah, I, exactly I it. the same way, and I'd much rather play a 15-minute game of Emdened Domain Microcosm Agreed. than sit through an hour-long, and that's with two players, an hour-long game of Viceroy, which just kind of felt like going through through the motions yeah so not not huge fans of that one um there's there's better things to find so we're gonna take a quick break uh when we get back we're gonna talk about auctions in two-player games (laughs) welcome back so we're gonna we're so we're gonna dive into a a review of mechanics and this might be a might be a theme that we revisit in future episodes um because it's kind of cool to look at some different mechanics that work really well with two players and there's some mechanics that don't work so well
1: and this is one of the ones that you would think really wouldn't work well with two players because there's just two of you
0: i thought for sure that we would find a lot of examples of auction games that did not work well for two players and actually as we made our list um, of stuff that we've played more often than not it actually does work pretty well um Mm -hmm. But i think it's it's funny because the certain types of auctions work well with two players, and certain types don't so real quick overview of what we're talking about when we're talking about auctions and games um obviously an auction pretty self explanatory it's when the players are bidding over something with either money or workers or resources in a game um and they're really two main types of auctions. You have the traditional open auction where, you know, someone makes a bid and then the other players have a chance to outbid them and whoever, you know, agrees to pay the highest amount of money is the one who wins. Um, And then you also have closed auctions or blind auctions um, a lot in games where each player decides what their bid will be in secret and then they get all revealed simultaneously and whoever is the most Uh, you know, whoever wins will get that. And usually in, in, with those types of auctions, um, there are benefits for coming in like second or third and stuff like that as well. So what I found in, in thinking about this is that I think the open auctions generally don't work very well with two players, especially in games where it's, like a like a zero sum kind of or not we're sorry where it's not a zero sum kind of deal um so like power grid is an example that pops to mind so during power grid you have the auction at the beginning of each round where players are bidding on the different power plants that are available that they can purchase and what will happen is someone nominates a power plant to be up for bid and players go back and forth and they bid on that power plant whoever bids the most gets the plant and but then once you've acquired a power plant you're not allowed to buy one for the rest of that round, and the round will go until everyone either purchases one power plant or passes. So the issue that you have there is with a two-player game. There's there's four power plants that are available to be purchased when you're when you're in the market. So whatever power plant gets nominated, one player is gonna you know you're gonna have the regular auction. It's gonna get bid up. One player is gonna pay a high price, but then the second player
1: gets to swoop in and get, and get the base, and, get you know, right. pay the
0: base value right. for the power plants that are left. And the same thing happens when you play with more players, with the difference being that you have less choice when you're that last player in a three or four player game, because mm-hmm. more of the good power plants have been gone.
1: Now in fairness, mm-hmm. we had bought the robots expansion it was supposed to help with that. But we never did play with it. I don't know. We,
0: no, we didn't. Um, But we, but just playing the rules and, and really not even the rules, but the variant as is, with that, it just didn't work so no. well because, like, they're like, and I guess you could say this is part of the strategy, but like, it usually would benefit you if you had a specific power plant that you wanted, not to nominate that power plant, instead, nominate the power plant that you know the other player would want, right? And try to bid them up and make them pay a higher price. Then, oh, okay, I'll buy the one that I want for 10 bucks, and that's, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. So, I, I think that's a key case where you need other people coming in. To to help bid against you Um, now conversely I think an open auction that works (laughs) relatively well is something in like fleet for example so in fleet you're bidding on the different licenses Mm -hmm. at the beginning of each round the, the difference here is that each player does have a shot at getting a license.
1: Depending but on how much money you have in your hand, that's the thing. Is that fleet? In, in fleet,
0: <laughs> they solve that problem by making your resources so damn limited that you may not want
1: to spend to, it. to get
0: the to get the like. Even if you don't get the one that you were trying to bid on, you might be like, "Well, I don't want the other one because I'm not paying." You know, valuable money, which is cards in your hand, which is
1: also when you get said licenses. The cards that you're paying for the licenses with are also the types of fish and crab and whatnot that you're actually trying to put out in right. your catching your boats. Yes,
0: yeah, so I think so, I think Fleet sidesteps that issue um, by making the I resources. Really like that. We
1: haven't played that in a while. It's a
0: good game, and like I said, it <laughs> works. You know, for again, for a game that you would think because the mm-hmm. auction is a very important part of the game wouldn't work very well
1: it worked really well It it's really good well for us anyway it depends i mean it's going to be a case-by-case basis yeah some people might just not jive with them they might just not like the theme or whatever but Mm -hmm. it worked really well for us
0: now some other open auctions (coughs) that that i think work really well and and this specifically tends to work well at all player counts but it really it it helps mitigate the open information part when you're playing with two and that's what I I I call them passive auctions in games where what during the course of the game you're bidding on something by just doing what you'd normally do in the game so so two examples of this would be like Brussels 1893 where as you put the different workers on the action spaces that you do you're putting some money down with them because you're bidding on the bonus card that's yeah. in the column down below. And I think that's a good way to do the auction, but not make it the focal point. And it works really effectively. Because so, then it makes you make that hard choice later on. or Like, well, I really want to get that bonus card. I really don't want to do any of the actions that are in the but row. that,
1: and I really need the money for my people so I can pay for my people.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think another one that handles that really well, too, is stockpile.
1: I love stock yeah. This is one I swear uh, I hate stock market. I mm-hmm. think the stock market is a terrible thing. I hate looking at my 401k statement and seeing that I've lost all this money. Um but anyway, you
0: get better 401k. <laughs> More stable one. Jeez.
1: I just, I just, I just redistributed everything. Yes. Well, because the ones I had it in, it just, it like it dropped off. And I was, it was like, up and uh-uh. down. I was yeah. like, you know what? I said we're gonna redistribute this. So I just I went over it with one of my yep. people. Anyway, so Brad brings this home. First of all, this game has the most giant first player marker ever. Like this thing is the size of the palm of my hand. Um. And then I was wondering, you know what? It's a, It's just. <laughs> i said okay stock market game two people how the hell is this going to work so we played and i was instantly hooked mm-hmm. like it works really well
0: well and and what this does is that at the beginning of each round or not beginning um you you basically you're each going to put out these cart the different stocks in different pile in different stockpiles
1: hence, <laughs> hence of the game
0: <laughs> Um, and you're bidding on them by placing your, you each have a meeple that you place on different spaces. Two meeples. On, Well, in the two player game, you each have two. And that's why I think it works really well because you can use the one meeple to, to get the really cheap bid okay, on the yeah, one yeah. that your opponent doesn't care about, but then you can use the other one to kind of bid back and forth with them, right. and and that one I really do feel like you have that control to really.
1: And it's cool because each pile, there's a little board above it, and you start off. I think it's what zero, mm. and then it goes. The next one's one, and then it incrementally increases with how much you have to pay for that pile.
0: Mm. And then another one that does this really well is Keyflower. Um, which is a game that we had. Which I think other aspects of Keyflower don't work very well with too. Um, but the auction part of it, where you're placing out the different meeples, yeah, because um, you're on just the placing the tile, them
1: on the edge of the tile. Yeah, declaring really that you well, want this.
0: But then what's what's great about that is that you can make a choice because when you place, when you get a tile in Keyflower, you're not the only one that can use it. Your opponents can still use your tiles. The the downside is that they get to keep the meeples that you use when you uh when they use those tiles. Mm-hmm. So I mean that's uh that's that's where the kind of balance lays in that game. But I think the auction I think any auction game where you where the where you ha- where you're basically auctioning positioning kind of like you're using meeples to bid or stuff like that works very well, especially with that lower player count, more so than, you know, going around with uh you know the the monopoly style auctions. Right. Which never work well no, <laughs> with, with two players
1: Not at, at all. that low
0: of a player count. So those are open auctions. Um, and like I said, we we discussed two different types and what works well and what doesn't. I think what works very well even with two players though, even more so than than those, is blind bid auctions, where each player secretly gets to choose, you know, how much they're going to contribute to it and then they get revealed. And, you know, whoever has the most wins, because you have to go into it saying, all right, what is the what is the most I'm willing to spend mm-hmm. to get this? But how much are they going to spend to try to to try to stop me from doing it? Um, Scoville. Scoville. Yeah, That's is, the one, the, the one. first one
1: that popped into my head when we started talking about that. Well, and
0: what's great about Scoville is that the auction <laughs> certainly is not the main point in the game, but it's super important because turn order in Scoville is is huge because There's there's a depending on what you want to do in your turn, being able to pick where in the turn order you lie is ridiculously important
1: because it flip flops for each thing that you do.
0: Right. So if you want to if you want to be able to make sure you plant first or that you fill a chili recipe first, you better get early in the turn or that chili recipe might not be there.
1: But if you have a specific harvest plan, you want to go number two.
0: Or if, you're, if there's a specific type of pepper that you want to make sure you get harvested and you don't right. want to block the other player. Right, right. Or you don't want to get blocked by other players. And then we're, the other reason that the auction in that game works really well, too, is because you're, you're spending money when you do the auction. But money is – you get a victory point for every $3 you have left at the end of the game. So, like, when you're bidding in that game, it is hugely important. You don't want to just throw money out because you're essentially – spending victory points yes in order to you know to get a better position so you really have to be smart about the bid and nothing's worse than in scoville because it's an all-pay auction where you know you bid like you know five bucks and then your opponent bids like six and and you know
1: then you're out five you know, bucks
0: and and two and really you're out two points yeah and you still don't get what you're going for so the blind bidding in scoville i think works really well um Shakespeare, which we talked about a few episodes ago when we played it for the first time, or well, actually no, we haven't talked about Shakespeare yet. I thought we did. No, it's uh, it's on the list, but we haven't we never talked about it. Uh, um, Shakespeare's auction is is kind of cool in that you actually are bidding to see how many actions you want to use in the round. Mm-hmm. So you can actually use up to five actions in the round, but you you know you, at the end of the round you bid to see how many you want to use, and and whoever bids the fewest actions. Actually gets to take their turns earlier, so that's that's the that's the trade off. There is that, yeah, you'll have less to do, but you'll get to do it first before anybody else. Right, gets so to you'll it.
1: have your first choice of actors and mm. and whatnot.
0: Yeah, and and then finally the other the other example that's really kind of a unique auction uh, that works really well is in Council of Verona um, when you're putting out your influence tokens in secret on the different cards. Um, because each each many of the cards in Council of Verona have um slots for influence tokens and influence tokens are how you score in the game mm-hmm. and the slots often have like a modifier next to them so like if you're the first person to get on a card at the end of the game if the card scores
1: you could get, you a, get plus like a plus one. 1 point
0: which can be hugely important and if you're the last to get there you might have to take a minus 1 if it, but it's still worth it to do. But if the card's there are definitely cards within
1: the game where you can play them out that will let you manipulate. Mm-hmm. Um, you can switch around the different tokens on the cards. You can peek at them yep. and then switch them around.
0: And that, and like I so said, Councilor definitely falls into the bluffing aspects. Mm-hmm. But just the the way, like trying to get. It, on certain cards first and then it really stinks when you put all your eggs into one basket and then that card doesn't even get to score at the end of the game because mm-hmm. of how the other cards get manipulated so that one is really interesting I love blind bidding in games um, I love trying to read what your opponents are going um, to do trying to analyze what they're going to give up in in the auction to see
1: that's why you liked uh, what was that bottom of the ninth when we're trying to figure out who's mm-hmm. going to do yeah. you know how you're going to hit <laughs>
0: And that and that's really cool. And like I said I, and I, it's cool to see like and and those work well with two players just because you don't have to play off against one another. Cuz really when, when you have lower player counts, I feel like with auctions, you're tr- you're really the strategy is try to get the other guy up as high as you possibly can without getting stuck with the thing and yourself. And this guy
1: sitting across from me, he is a bulldog sometimes cuz he knows. He knows how. It's like he he knows exactly how high I'm going to go. Mhm. I hate that. Well, hate it. <laughs> how I'm you a, know you've been together too long? You know each other so well. It makes it difficult. I think
0: I'm just a good negotiator. It, is all. it just makes it
1: difficult <laughs> to try and bluff the other person. Sometimes nah, I
0: think I'm just a good negotiator. No, but but like I said, and we talked earlier in the show about biblios, and again, it's that seems like a game that would be better served with, with more, more people, people because of the auction being so so prevalent in the game. Um, but it, I, I was pleasantly surprised to see, cause like uh, going into this, I definitely thought, okay, auctions, we don't have a lot of games that do auctions we and they're really typically do. not, we actually have quite a few that have it in there. And I was more surprised to see, cause I, I, I knew going in that the closed biddings were better, but I was more surprised to see that we actually had quite a few games that had the, the open mechanic.
1: And I've been <clears> sitting <throat> here the whole episode. There's a game that we've played recently and I cannot remember what game it is mm-hmm. that has an auction mechanic. And it's going to drive me nuts because I know I'm going to think of it as soon as we're done. Yep. Ugh. Oh well,
0: that's what happens sometimes. <laughs> what are you going to do? So and so, yeah. So those are auctions. Like I said, that's pleasantly surprising to see that it, it, they work better with two than one would think. Um, obviously, there's a lot of games out there that have that are more famous auction games. Um, Ra comes to mind, which the ga- the whole game is the auction that you really cannot do with two, just because of the whole. You know that the the open bidding aspect with that one, um, but there if you get clever with the mechanic, I think you can really make some some good waves uh, in many games that uh, that you see there. So that's auctions. Um, I enjoy doing that. Like I said, I can definitely see us tackling some other mechanics um, down the road and and kind of analyzing how they work with uh with two players. I think I might also want to do like a segment where we take some games that uh, aren't traditionally looked at highly with two and try to debunk uh debunk some of that
1: we also need to start our get it to the table list again
0: well once we get our need to our our new game list not our our stack knocked down we've
1: done really well we have done really well okay we've been doing real real well with that there's still a lot more
0: to go so
1: it's been, a, it's been a productive couple months. Yeah, And we just got two more. Yeah,
0: and there's Math Creed getting ready to come up, too. So
1: Oh, jeez.
0: Yep, so that'll be fun.
1: And we just backed another one on Kickstarter.
0: Oh, the Minos thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Couldn't say no to that one, especially after The Gallerist, because that, oh, that, nice, that is a The production quality on set. that was
1: phenomenal.
0: That is a nice set. So, well, we're going to call it quits here. Um... Again, don't forget to check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Tabletop for two. Um, Also, we are one show of many shows in the Nerdpocalypse Studios Network. So check out all the other great shows on there, including the Nerd Apocalypse, Dense Pixels, Black on Black Cinema, and uh, Mouthful of Toast. Uh, we also, if you would like to check out our premium offerings, uh, we have a couple shows that are available, uh, behind a paywall, but they're all really excellent. And it's only five bucks a month or $50 for the whole year to check those out. Uh, that would be weekly episodes of the airing of grievances, um, and, Look forward, and then monthly episodes of No Time to Bleed, which is our long form action movie review podcast, and monthly episodes of Men with the Golden Tongues, which is hosted by me and Micah, uh, which is our long form James Bond movie review podcast. Uh, the episode for From Russia with Love just came out, and I will be watching Goldfinger very soon because we're getting ready to record that one. I will
1: watch with you because that's a sentimental favorite for yep. me.
0: So we'll uh, we'll look forward to that. I Love doing that show. Um, lots of fun. Love James Bond, and uh, you should definitely check it out. Even if it's just for a month, just to see I still if be need be to, to listen
1: to. to "No Time to Bleed" because they did one of my favorites. They did Starship Troopers, and I was oh. very excited. I saw that and I was like, <gasps> "Yeah,
0: absolutely." <laughs> So but uh, but that's it for us. Uh, thanks again very much for listening as we're I don't know if we're at 20 episodes or getting close, but uh, we've almost been doing this for a year, if you can believe it.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: May will be a year. Wow. Hard to believe. I know.
1: Well, our little buddy is, too. So, yep. yeah, he's
0: growing up fast. But yeah, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Till next time.
1: Bye. Bye.